0: Man, dip me in that water all day long. God has been good to us, hasn't he? You know, when I was a kid growing up, we used to uh, have testimony services. You know, we can't do it much on Sunday morning because there's so many people here that we'd be doing it all day. And then you'd miss the fried chicken at Kentucky Fried Chicken. We do occasionally have a few testimonies on Wednesday night. But I love to hear what God is doing in people's lives, don't you? Oh, when I think about where I was and where I am today because of Him, there's been such a change in my life. What a difference in my life since Jesus came. We used to sing that in the old church. What a difference He's made. Amen. Thank you for that, Priscilla. made me want to shout and run the aisle just a little bit. Amen. Well, I'm looking across the crowd today, and I'm seeing... A lot of brave people that are here today uh, because I announced to you last week what I was going to be preaching today. And you either forgot what I said or you decided you wanted to hear what we're going to talk about today. Because the next message and the progression of what we've been talking about is based on the foundation of the Pentecostal movement. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And the scripture talks about that when that happens in our lives, that there's this phenomena that takes place that is called speaking in tongues. So, today I'm going to talk to you about that. And for those of you who are fearful of that, I promise you that I'm going to try to take the approach that one of the great Baptist preachers of years ago, W.A. Criswell, when he used to preach, he'd say, I'm going to try to give you the facts, people. Just the facts. So today I have uh, changed my approach to preaching. I've gone back to the old way of putting my notes on the paper. The majority of it's scripture. And I even have in my hands the old King James version of the Bible. Well, almost. Almost. It's the new King James version because I want to be very careful that I represent the Word of the Lord properly. And I'm not saying that the new versions of Scripture don't do that because they do in fact, you may not know this, but they're actually more accurate than the King James Version is. Now I know that kills some of you, but it is true. Uh, But at any rate, I wanted to try to stay close to what you might already know because of what you were taught in Sunday school years ago or in, in Bible classes and small group classes. But I want to go on record as saying right up front that I believe that we're getting ready to enter into a season here at our church that, as I have already said to you, is going to be a next-level season. I believe God's taking us to someplace where where we're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives like never before. We're going to need that anointing and that unction to be able to represent Him properly in this new season. So those of you who come from a uh, a different background, for those of you who maybe were raised in in what what we call the cessationist groups, um uh, just, just bear with me today. I'm not here to throw stones at anyone. Hey, listen, this has been debated for many, many years, and I'm probably not going to be the guy today who's going to be able to say something that will forever and today end the debate. People are going to have their opinions from here on out. But I want to try to give you, from the Pente- Pentecostal perspective, our understanding of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I hope and I pray that you will be able to see today that this is a gift from God that is not used necessarily uh, to to make you feel like you're some super-duper Christian, but simply that you are a child of God who has been anointed and empowered by the baptism of the Holy Spirit to do what God has for you to do in your life so today if you'll pray for me and if you'll stay with me I promise that I'm going to do myself my my best to to pull myself in and try to stay as close to scripture as I possibly can now I know that that's against my nature because I always generally meddle a little bit every week don't I but this week (laughs) thank you for that loud confirming amen Miss Boo, I appreciate that. And today, I'm not going to say I won't meddle, but I'm going to try to stay as close to Scripture today because I really think what you need to hear today is not what my opinion is, but I think you need to hear what the Lord's opinion is on this matter. So if you'll join me right now, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless the messenger, to bless the message, so that as you hear it, you will receive it properly today. Father... I thank you for the opportunity that you have given me to represent your word to this congregation today. I'm not in the least bit intimidated or afraid to preach this message. Not one bit. I'm not nervous about it. I'm not afraid. I'm not, I'm not scared. But I do want to be able to represent your word properly. And so I pray that today, as I speak, that I will speak in a way that is hermeneutically correct, that is true to scripture, and that will bring out the truth of your word because your word is what matters anyway. And then I pray for this congregation today, Lord, that they will be able to set aside their fears. Those who may have come from backgrounds that are different than ours, who may have a different opinion on these passages of scripture than we do help them to relax and to be able to open their minds and hear from you today and then be able to make a good, logical, righteous decision uh, based on what your word is saying to them. I know what I believe, and I'm not really trying to change anyone's mind today except for what, what minds you might decide to change Because the Holy Spirit, if you begin to anoint this message and bring it alive in the hearts of your people who are hearing, then it can change their lives and prepare them for the next level living that you have for them. So Lord, we're depending on you, and I pray God that you will do the work that you desire to do. I'm not trying to get a hundred people filled with the Holy Ghost today so I can put it on my pastoral report. I'm just trying to be faithful to the Word of God. And let you do the work that needs to be done in their lives. And I believe that if that is accomplished, then, Lord, that's the most that we can ask for today. And it will be sufficient. And I thank you now. I've asked it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Go ahead and tell your neighbor, just say, just for safety's sake, go ahead and put your seatbelt on right now. You may need it today. Amen. I've already mentioned to you that one of the great Baptist preachers, uh, W.A. Criswell, uh, in his preaching, he tried to stay as close to the Word of God as possible when he was preaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I will also say to you that I would not necessarily agree with the interpretation of these passages of Scripture as they have been given. Now, last week, I shared with you that there are basically two movements In the church world, the first is the cessationist movement which says that not just tongues but all of the gifts of the Spirit as provided to us in the New Testament have ceased to be active in the world today. So not only should there not be tongues and interpretation but there should not be the gift of healing. There should not be the gift of discernment. There should not be the gift of knowledge. There should not be the gift of wisdom. And the argument is that the scripture says, for when that which is perfect has come, there will be no need for those things. You can find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Where where the theological debate rests is what does it mean when Scripture says, when that which is perfect has come. The cessationists believe that when the Word of God was canonized, and that's a big term that means that when they all the church fathers finally said, the Bible is as good as it can ever be, closed the canon... Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. They believe that at that time that that which is perfect is come. So their indication is, is that this book is perfect and therefore there would be no need ever for there to be a gift of revelation or a gift of knowledge because you can find everything that you need in this book. Now, I don't totally disagree with that. Because I do believe that this book speaks to everything that you'll ever face in your life. It either speaks to it specifically or it speaks to it principally. But it will touch every area of your life. <clears throat> so the cessationists believe that when the cannon was shut then that which is perfect has come and there's no need for any of the spiritual gifts at all in the world today. Now the other group is the group that we're a part of, which is the continuationists, which obviously believe that the gifts of the Spirit were given by God and that they are to continue throughout time until that which is perfect is come. And our belief is that that which is perfect, when that which is perfect shall come, is the second coming of Jesus Christ. On the day that Jesus Christ comes again, whenever that is, then there will be no need for a word of knowledge. There will be no need for a word of revelation. There will be no need for us to speak in another tongue or an angelic language. Because we will spend eternity from that point forward in the presence of the very word of God. He was from the beginning the word. And so when we spend eternity with him, there would be no need for healing. Because there will be no sickness in heaven. There will be no need for a a spirit of discernment. Because all will be well in heaven. There will be no need for an angelic language such as speaking in tongues because we will all understand, even though we understand uh, darkly now, we will understand clearly then. So our particular persuasion is that when the gifts of the Holy Spirit were given to the church, that they were intended to continue to operate in the body of Christ until that which is perfect has come, which is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, which one's right? Well, I'm not going to jump that fence for you today. I know what I believe. Obviously, I'm ministering in an organization that believes one of those. But I'm not going to throw stones at anybody who doesn't believe it like I do. But since I'm a part of this continuation theory, it falls, I believe, my responsibility to share with you the purpose and the reason that God has given us these gifts. And I am selecting uh, the gifts of tongues and interpretation in this series of messages because several weeks ago, if you'll remember, we started talking about this idea of prayer and what it means to communicate effectively with the Lord. Now, as we move forward in weeks to come, I'm going to be talking about some more of the gifts of the Spirit. But for the time being, I want to focus in on these areas. So first of all, if you have your Bibles today, I want you to take them and turn with me to Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 18. And the question is, is this for us today? Is this something that, that we should seek after and want to have a part as a part of our lives. So Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 18. It says, And he said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs shall follow those who believe in my name they will cast out demons they will speak with new tongues they will take up serpents and if they drink anything that is deadly it will by no means hurt them they will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover That's pretty powerful stuff right there, isn't it? So Jesus is making it very clear now that in order for us to represent him properly in the world today, we're going to have to have an ability and a power that is greater than our natural ability and power. Now I can see that some of you right now are thinking, but now you're talking about tongues, so why don't we still drink poison? And why don't we still handle snakes? Well, the first reason is, is because I hate snakes. And I just ain't going to do it. And I'm not into drinking poison either. Here's the point that he's trying to make. He's trying to say that I'm going to give you this bag of tools by which you can use whatever power and authority that you need as the circumstance calls for it. I really believe with all of my heart that if someone walked in here who was demon-possessed, that we have the power through the Holy Spirit to cast out that demon in the name of Jesus Christ and they would be restored. I believe that with all my heart. In my ministry, not my ministry, it's not my ministry. In my lifetime, as I have engaged in ministry, I have seen this take place. I have seen people who were possessed by demonic spirits who were set free by the power of God as the spirit-filled church laid their hands upon them and commanded in Jesus' name that the devil let them go and restore freedom to their mind and their body. I've seen it happen. I don't have to read history books. I don't have to wonder about it. I have witnessed it in my own life. I believe that if I were out ministering to someone and I had to get up and go to the restroom and come back and in the meantime, they slipped some poison into my coffee, I believe with all of my heart that that poison would not hurt me because I am sealed by the Holy Spirit. I have the power of God. If, now, if God were finished with me, then he might let that poison do its work and take me on to heaven. And if that happens, I couldn't give a deadly rip. I'm ready to go to heaven. Amen? But until God is finished with me, there's no devil in hell that can take me out because I'm protected by the power of God. I know that some of you are thinking, are oh, you getting just a little bit too big for your spiritual britches? Well, if I were talking about my ability and my power, I would agree with you. But I'm not talking about my power. I'm talking about the power that is in me being greater than he that is in the world. Amen. The Spirit of God is alive and well within us. Now, I don't want to take up serpents, but if you've got a box of them right now and you let one of them go, And he comes up here to me, and if I need to do it, I'm going to pick him up and cast him out in Jesus' name. (laughs) I I might be a little nervous in the process because I don't like snakes. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, I'm going to give you a power that will anoint you beyond what your natural ability can be. I'm going to give you a knowledge that is beyond human knowledge. I'm going to give you a wisdom that is beyond human wisdom. I'm going to give you an authority that is beyond human authority. I'm going to give you the power of my Holy Spirit and whatever you need to use it for, whether it be to cast out demons or to speak in new tongues or or to pick up snakes and get them out of the way, or to lay hands on the sick and see them recover, you can use those gifts and that power and that authority to be an overcomer. I don't have to read history about healing power. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've watched my own son be healed when he was an infant, and his mother laid her hands upon his body and asked the Lord to heal him, and the Lord healed him. I I saw a lady come into our church several years ago who was in the last stages of cancer. And she came in and she sat very quietly and nicely through the entire service. And when the altar call was given, she came up front and she said, I hear that you all pray for healing. I said, yes, we believe in healing. She said, I'm in the last stages of cancer And the doctors have given me only a few days to live. But I have come here today so that you can lay your hands on me and pray that the Lord will heal me. And I'll be honest with you, when she said that to me, I got a little bit weak-kneed. I was young in the ministry. I was not very old, Brother Danny and Brother Pastor Jerry. And I had not experienced anything quite like that yet. And I told her, I said, hold on just a minute. And I walked over into the corner of the church, and I said, oh, dear Jesus, you've got to help me. I've never experienced anything like this before, but she didn't come here to experience what I can give her anyway. She came here to experience what you can give her. And like Peter said to the man who was expecting to get alms, he said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And I went over and I laid my hands upon that lady. I didn't scream. I didn't holler. I didn't spit. I didn't, in fact, when I was done, I kind of was a little disappointed that I hadn't done a better job. You know what I'm saying? And she thanked me and she walked out the door and, and she was gone week later she comes in same lady and I thought to myself praise God this is the key to revival we've been waiting for she's gonna come here and God's just gonna blow this place wide open through her testimony and she came up at the end of the service and she said to me I just want you to know that I went back to the doctor this week and asked them to run all the tests again they said there's no point it's just gonna cost a lot of money and there is no hope There is no future. You're going to die in a matter of a few days. And she said, if I'm paying the bill, then what does it matter to you? I want you to run all the tests again. And they ran all the tests again. And when they got the results, they came in and they said, we don't know what happened to you, but there is no trace of cancer in your body whatsoever. None. Go home and live however you want to live. And then she said to me, she said, I'd love to come to church here. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, take this testimony back to my church and show them what God can do when we will submit ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit. And God broke revival out in that church across town and they grew by leaps and bounds. But God used our church and the facilitating of that healing in her body. So that's what Mark says about it. John chapter 7 now. Turn over there with me. John chapter 7. Beginning at verse 37. It says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and he cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, and he who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart, or I think the King James traditional says, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, how many of you have ever heard a preacher, or even you, in in, in a moment of inspiration say, There is within me a river of living water that will flow out of my innermost being. Have you ever quoted that? Have you ever said that? And kind of wonder what in the world is that river? What in the world is that experience? What in the world does that mean? And scripture is very clear there that he is talking about the infilling and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, which shall be in you and will flow out of your innermost being. And so he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Okay. So now let's move on. We've already established that he wants us to be filled with the Spirit. There's no debating that. He wants us to be filled with the Spirit. So what does that look like? What do, what about tongues? Well, first of all, I want to introduce you to a big word that many of you have probably never heard, some of you possibly have. The word is xenolalia, spelled X-E-N-O-L-A-L-I-A. And it comes from the Greek xenos, which means foreign, and lalia, which means speaking, and when translated, it means speaking in a foreign language. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn over with me to Acts chapter 2. Xenolalia then is the speaking of a foreign language. It is a language. It is an earthly language, but it is a foreign language That is being spoken by someone who has never learned how to speak that language. So it would be like me speaking Romanian. I've never studied Romanian. I don't know a word of Romanian that I'm aware of. But what this is talking about is when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon an individual who is filled with the Holy Spirit, they have the ability to speak in a known language in such a way that someone who hears that language and is schooled in that language can hear the wonderful works of God. Now Acts chapter 2 represents the only occurrence of xenolalia in Scripture. Let's read it. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them, and they were all filled, say "All all filled, with the Holy Spirit And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation. Say every nation. Under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. Say came together. And they were confused Because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues. The wonderful works of God. I just want to let that sink in for a minute. That's an amazing miracle from God that took place. This is xenolalia, which is 120 people. After they had been filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Began to spill out into the streets. Speaking languages that were known in the world but were not known to them. And as they began to speak, people began to hear them speak. And they said, we hear in our own tongue the wonderful works of God. Now, I don't know how to explain it to you, other than to say, if there were people in this congregation today, now, now me and uh, me and uh, Miss Dorothy, we occasionally we kid around about speaking in German. She lived there for what, three years? Three years, and so she can she can speak uh, German a little bit. And I took two years in high school and pretty much flunked out. <laughs> but I can say sprechen Sie Deutsch? Which means, do you speak German? Now, if you were German, you'd be able to understand that. If you're not German, you didn't know what I was saying. Let me throw another one at you. Bohengate Peter. In Dane boat. How many of you know what I just said? I just said, where is Peter? He's in the boat. I spoke that in German. But it is not xenolalia. Because I took two years of high school German. And I learned those phrases. But now if you get a real German in here to start speaking in front of me, I'm just as lost as anybody in this room. Because I don't have a clue. Well, we've got some Spanish speaking people in our church and if they were to come up here and start speaking in Spanish to you if you had learned Spanish in high school or in in some other way you would be able to understand what they were saying but if you like me don't know the Spanish language you would not understand what they are saying and so you would be at a loss so what happened here on this day is that God anointed them to speak in languages that they had never learned so that those who were there in that community that day could hear the wonderful works of God. Amen. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. But now there is some debate as to whether or not God anointed the tongues and also anointed the ears. Now I want you to think about this for just a minute. I'd never really thought about this until I really started studying it out this week. We understand and we know that God anointed their lips to be able to speak in languages that were known that they had never studied. But when Peter came out on the street with the other 119 people there who had been filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the people there, they said, these people are crazy. They must be drunk on new wine. And Peter stood up. As they had all gathered and come together and he began speaking to them and he says to them, this is not what you think. These men and women are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. What you are experiencing is what the prophet Joel spoke of all the way in the old scripture. Did you ever wonder what language was Peter using When he told them all that, he was one person speaking and there were multiple nations that were represented. We read the whole list. And so if Peter stood up and started speaking in his own natural language, there would be those who would have heard him and understood what he was saying. But if they did not understand Peter's natural language then they would not understand what Peter was saying, even though he was speaking under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So how did they know? Well, there is a belief, and I'm just kind of thinking I might dig this just a little bit. There's one guy speaking in his language, but everybody is understanding what he's saying. So who's anointed? Is Peter anointed so that one word is coming out of his mouth and the one word is translated by the Holy Spirit before it gets to the ear of the hearer so that they can understand is the anointing on the speaker or the hearer? What if God decides to anoint the hearer's ears? And though Peter is speaking one language, it's coming out to the multitude of people who are hearing, and God touches their ears and anoints their ears to hear not the language that Peter is speaking, but they are hearing the anointed language of the Holy Spirit as it comes forth uh, and settles into their mind. I don't know, but I know this. I know that when Peter shut up, 3,000 of them came forward and said, I've got to get my life in order and accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. 3,000 souls were saved on the day of Pentecost because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon Peter and upon those people. We'll say, Pastor, I thought you were going to pick for me and tell me which one I need to decide. No, I'm not. Nor am I gonna tell you whether you should vote for a Democrat or a Republican. That's your choice, it's up to you. I don't know if it's if it's a little of both, but here's what I do believe. I believe with all of my heart that God is going to pour out a last day revival in America today. And the only people who can be the ones who transfer that and release it into our world today is spirit-filled, Holy Ghost-baptized men and women of God who live out their lives on a daily basis under the anointing of the Holy Spirit so that when the world hears what we have to say, that they're going to say, I never saw it that way before, but I believe it because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit that has come to me today. God will break any barrier that he has to break in order to get the message of Jesus Christ to somebody who needs to hear it. That should be good news to some of you because you've tried witnessing to people in your life. You've been trying to, 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 to allow them to understand this wonderful blessing of salvation, and yet, for whatever reasons, they're still not able to hear. Let me tell you something there is hope. It may not come in the natural, but if you're filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit, He will supernaturally endow you with power and endue you with power that will allow you to speak the right words and give the right wisdom and, and operate in the correct discernment so that you can speak in such a way that lives can be changed. Somebody give the Lord praise in the house today. Xenolalia, then there is glossolalia. It is derived from the Greek phrase glosses which literally means to speak in tongues. Does not mean the same as xenolalia, which is speaking known languages that you have never learned before. Glossolalia is a special spirit language. That is given by the Holy Ghost. And we see it in scripture. First of all, we see it as what what theologians call the evidence tongue. Turn with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. We've already read Acts chapter 2, but keep that in your mind. Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 46. Everybody still okay? All right. Some of, you, some of you are hyperventilating. I can tell just by looking at you. It's going to be all right. Acts 10, through 46. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, how did they know? Verse 46, for they heard them speak with glossolalia, with tongues, and magnify the Lord. That word magnify means to extol. It means to praise in another level. It means to reach out and go beyond human language and praise God and extol Him and magnify Him in ways that are beyond what human ability can produce. And they're saying, we heard these people, these Gentiles of all people, as they were magnifying and extolling the mighty praise of Jesus Christ. Now go to Acts chapter 19 with me. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, We have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? And so they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's water baptism. And when Peter laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, of the, of the times that we see baptism in the New Testament, they, they, it is followed with this speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance, except we're going to see in Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 19, that there is what theologians call the assumed tongue. Now, what we just talked about is, is the evidence tongue. In other words, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and the evidence was that they spoke with another tongue. Acts Chapter 8, verses 14 through 19. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon the sorcerer, saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So we see people being filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit, but what is missing here is the mention of tongues. So the theologians suggest That there are assumed tongues there because in other places in the scripture it says that when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, but not here. And the reason is that there was a magician there who was trying to counterfeit what God was trying to do. But he saw something that caused him to want to offer money so that he could buy this power so that when he laid hands on people, that they could speak with other tongues. He was trying to counterfeit what God had been doing. And so I'm going to say this, and if you send this to the overseer, I may find myself in some some trouble, but I'm going to venture out anyway. Our church believes that speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Other Pentecostal organizations believe that the infilling and indwelling of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues is a evidence of the Holy Spirit that goes along with some of the other things. So what I'm going to say to you today is, is that since scripture does not expressly say that it is the evidence, the initial evidence of speaking in tongues, I don't know that I want to drive that peg in the ground there. But what I am going to say to you is that there is plenty of evidence all through Scripture that when someone is filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there are going to be signs that confirm the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that one of those signs will be speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Somebody said, Praise the Lord. Now I got to quit. Lord will help me. I'm going to try to remember to have communion this morning because I forgot last week. The other way that we see glossolalia used in Scripture is what we call the body body edifying tongue and then the self edifying tongue. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and I've got to move quick. I've got to move quick. And if you have if you have a pencil or a pen and you don't mind writing in your Bibles then I want you to write in your Bibles at the point that I tell you so that you can identify the difference between the body edifying and the self edifying so if it's body edifying just put B-E and then when you get home you'll say what did that stand for? body edifying and then self edifying are you ready? here we go Verse 1, write B-E. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Verse 2, write S-E. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. Verse 3, write B-E. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to other men. Verse 4, write S-E. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Now, right here after the comma, write B-E. But he who prophesies edifies the church. Stay with the BE. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. But now, brethren, If I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether they are flutes or harps, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sound, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for the battle? So likewise, unless you utter by the tongue words that are easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, are, as it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks. I've already told you that. And he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Now, verse 14, write the letters S-E. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, But my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I also will sing with understanding. Verse 16, write the letters B-E. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, the whole church comes together in one place. Pay attention to this now. And everybody is speaking in tongues. And there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers. They will, will they not say that you are out of your mind? In other words, they're going to call you crazy people. But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, or at the most three, each in their own turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter... Let him keep silent in the church. Put the letters S-E here. But let him speak to himself and to God. Verse 29, B-E. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if any be revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Now, I, I, I need to do some deep teaching on verse 34, but just hang with me for just a second. Let your women keep silent in the churches For they're not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in the church. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it you only that it reached If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. But let all things be done decently and in order. Now let me deal with the women issue before I go any further. Because if I don't, you're not going to hear another word I say. So are women supposed to be quiet in the church? That would be anti-scripture. One of the things that I learned in seminary was that scripture interprets scripture. Opinion does not interpret scripture. Scripture does. And there are other passages in the word of God that says in the last days he will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. If we look historically at the New Testament, we see women who operate in the gifts and the anointing of the spirit. So then what is he saying here that the women are to be quiet? Historically, we know that First or the church at Corinthians was one of the most immature churches that existed in that time. And most historians believe that there was a warfare that was going on in the flesh among some of the women there. I don't know if you've ever seen women fight or not, but it can create quite a stir. Men, they just—they don't really fight. They just kind of look at each other. I've seen some women fight. But they were, they were disagreeing, and it was causing confusion in the body of Christ. And so Paul says, women, you just need to be quiet and take this home and let your husbands help you work through this disagreement that's taking place. He was not shutting them down and shutting them out of the Scripture. He was telling them there is a time and a place for all things. And when the body comes together to worship and to edify one another, it is not the time to be fussing and fighting with one another. See here, I've run out of time. And they just put fresh chicken in the fryers. So let me see if I can get this thing tacked together as quick as I can. Come on, come ahead and start playing if you will. So Paul pretty well let it be known that when the gifts of the Spirit, particularly tongues, are being used in the body of Christ, first of all, they are to bring edification to the body of Christ. If tongues is not edifying the body of Christ, it is out of order. Sadly, it falls the responsibility of the church leadership to operate in the gift of discernment to be able to know when those gifts are being operated in properly and effectively and when they're not. And so it is to be for that, well, pastor, what happens when someone speaks out loud in a tongue in our church? Then the scripture says that if they do so, one of two things is to take place. Either they are to pray that the Lord will also enable them to interpret that tongue and give the prophetic utterance to the body so that it can benefit the body or they are to look around the congregation and see if someone is present who has operated in the gift of interpretation in the past. And if the interpreter is present then they can give that message even though they may not personally have the interpretation. Because that person who is gifted with the gift of interpretation will stand and give the interpretation to that message. But what he's saying here is is that it's so much better when the body comes together for there to be prophetic utterances. Prophetic that come from the Word of God and are spoken in such a way that all can understand. He said, I'd rather preach five words and prophesy five words in a language that people can understand so that they can benefit from it than preach, speak a thousand words in an unknown tongue and everybody says, I didn't get it. I don't understand. So in the body, the gift of tongues and interpretation is certainly a gift that is to be used in the body for the edification of the body. But then there is what we call the devotional tongue that can be used in your own life, even in the body of Christ. It's just that if there is no interpreter or you do not have the interpretation of that tongue, you are to speak to yourself and to God. In other words, you're not interrupting the service. You're not, you're not speaking it out so that others can because you don't have the interpretation, there's not an interpreter president or present. So what you're what you're doing is you're praying with God and to God alone in a devotional tongue. I've seen it happen many times when people come to the altars and they receive prayer and you lay hands upon them they've prayed and they've prayed and they've prayed and they don't know how to pray anymore. And as soon as they get here, they, they, they move out of the natural language and into the spiritual language. And the Spirit of God begins praying in them and flowing in them and flowing out of them. And God is praying on their behalf in a way that they may not even understand, but their spirit is being edified. You still okay? You say, why are you talking about all this, Pastor. Let me tell you something. If all we have to use in these last days is a form of religion and we deny the power thereof, we have no hope. None. I don't care how big our church buildings get. I don't care how many books our pastor sells. I don't care how popular we become. If all we have is a form of religion, this world's going down the tank. But if we can be filled with the Holy Spirit and operate in His gifts and operate in a realm of the supernatural, then we have a hope that goes beyond what natural religion can bring to the table. Here's what we're going to do as we close. And there's so much more. There's so much more. I could preach three more weeks on this and still have new information to give you. And who knows, I might just do that. I've been praying, Lord God, send some people to church on Sunday that are tired of doing church like we've always done church and are hungry to be baptized and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit because we need it in these last days. And I believe that there are multiple individuals in this house today that you want to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit for your first time. I also believe that there are men and women in this house today that you know what it is to have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and to pray in the tongues, to pray in glossolalia, to hear the voice of the Spirit, and pray in those devotional tongues in ways that you can't understand, but your spirit is encouraged. You know, but it's been weeks and months and maybe even years since you allowed the flow of the Holy Spirit to move through you. Can I ask you a question today? Why in the world would you possess a gift that is so powerful and has the potential to change your life and move you to the next level? Why would you have a gift like that and not use it? For those of you who are here today and you know what it is to have been filled with the Spirit but you would say it's been a long time it's been a long time I'm going to pray that the Lord will refill you today before you leave but here's what we're going to do Because I know that there are people in this house today that you could not bear to have to sit here while somebody seeks for the baptism of the Holy Spirit so we're going to have communion first And then after we have communion, I want anybody in this building who wants to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit or refill, I want you to come up here and present yourself to the prayer team that will be here. And I'm going to come down here and we're going to pray for you. Listen, I'm not going to spit on you. I'm not going to throw you down in the floor. I'm not going to smack you. I'm not going to get up in your ears and start telling you what to say and how to say it. I don't believe any of that's necessary. All I believe is necessary is a hungry heart that has been cleansed of their sin, coming before the Father and saying, Lord, I desire the gift of your Holy Spirit. Will you come and fill me even now? And by faith, I begin to speak in the language that you give me right now. It may sound like a puppy barking. It may sound like a goldfish blowing. But I'm going to speak by faith. And as my language is developed in you, I'm going to receive. So let's all stand. Communion, come.